We have to go back! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are kicking off the summer season with 500 Days of Summer, the yeah. 2009. Not a rom-com? I mean, I laughed and there were romantic elements. So, yeah, but they tell us right off the bat, it's not a love story. It's not yeah. a love story. So we do have to say rom-com. With an upward inflection, like you did. Yes. Rom-com? Rom-com? And we just serendipitously uh, decided to uh, review this movie at the same time that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has uh, another project up that I think is called... uh, 7,500? 7,500. 7,500, however you want to say it. Yeah. So um, we're just so in tune... (laughs) With media releases that we constantly stumble into uh, being relevant. Yeah, it's you know we did this on purpose to pick a Joseph Gordon-Levitt vehicle that also has a number in the title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Five hundred days of summer was a huge sleeper hit back in two thousand nine. Uh, originally going out on the independent film festival uh, circuit and ultimately getting picked up by Fox Searchlight. Uh, a movie. About breakups and heartache written by a guy who went through a breakup and heartache. Takes one to no one. (laughs) So it's inspired by the real romance of co-writer Scott Neustadter. So I think that might be it. Uh, So Scott Neustadter and uh, according to DVD commentary, about 75% of the film actually happened to him. Um, and so he explains that when he met the real girl who inspired the character of Summer as a student at the London School of Economics in 2002, uh, he was rebounding from a bad breakup back home and promptly fell, quote, crazily, madly, hopelessly in love oh. with the girl who, quote, returned his kisses, but not his ardor. The relationship was painful and unforgettably awful, which prompted him to co-write the film with Michael H. Weber. And then he showed the script uh, to uh, Summer's real-life counterpart, and she said that she actually related more to Tom. Mm -hmm. And and then, um, you know, it made its way to uh, now-famed Spider-Man director Mark Webb, uh, and he describes this movie more of of a uh, coming-of-age story. He says, most romantic comedies are more loyal to a formula than to emotional truth. I mean, it's about happiness and learning that you'll find it within yourself rather than in the big blue eyes of the girls in the cubicle down the hall. I wanted to make an unsentimental movie and an uncynical movie. In my mind, I wanted it to be something you could dance to. It's about 500 days in a young guy's relationship, but it's no less deserving of scrutiny. Uh, When your heart is first broken, it consumes you. It's an emotion I wanted to make a movie about before I forgot how it felt. Uh, And he also goes on to say that uh, Zoe Deschanel's character, Summer, is based on a stock character type. He says, yes, Summer is an immature view of a woman. She's Tom's view of a woman. He doesn't see her complexity and the consequences for him is heartbreak. In Tom's eyes, summer is perfection, but perfection has no depth. Oh, wow. How is it that the interview 
about the movie. <laughs> it's just as poignant as the movie. Right? This guy has a way with, uh, what is it? Words. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so this movie, uh, with a $7.5 million budget, went on wow. to make over $60 million worldwide. It impacted the culture, and not only the culture, the careers of these people. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, after the end of Third Rock from the Sun, kind of left acting, came back to do a couple of projects. But this was kind of his big re, or not re-renaissance, but his renaissance. Uh, he, he came back uh, with a vengeance, and after this, he did uh, really cool projects like Hit Record um, and, uh, you know. The rest. Yeah, you know, the, and you know the rest. But it is the second time that I believe only the second time that he has uh, made an appearance on the podcast. For the first being Angels in the Outfield. Yep. Yeah, but that was uh, like so long ago. Oh man, save it for headcanon, Grayson. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, and in Zoe Deschanel. I mean, she had already, you know, been in the biz. Uh, but she was basically having like her Donald Glover uh, season of life where she was a uh, musician and she and him, uh, she was acting, she was doing directing. And then just two years after this, she was cast in New Girl. Uh, the year prior, she uh, had done Elf, if I'm remembering well, correctly. She did no, Elf a couple yeah. years earlier, yeah. But she did Yes, yes Man. Man and The Happening all around that time. And oh, so the that's the thing. It was like all... The, and she was in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah. And so she was really finding like this genre shopping for the most part. Um, and so that's why, you know, you don't really string those movies together. But you realize, wow, she had like this period of just really intensely successful movies. Um, yeah, I'm including the happening in there because it made it to the big screen. Oh, yeah. Um, which is not that easy. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she had all of these movies and uh, Yes Man was really huge as well. Like that's, I watched that again recently and you can start to see like really locking into a performance type um and it, it fed perfectly into this. So I re- I was remembering, not to go too far into it, but I was, I was trying to remember when we were sitting in the theater and I was like, I was definitely aware of Zoe Deschanel at the time, even though it was pre-New Girl, um, but I, I couldn't remember how I was aware of her. And it, it was all of these movies kind of starting to be put together to really kickstart her acting career. Well, I think it's also important to just the third really big player in this movie, Clark Gregg as the boss, um, to put his filmography. He did this between Iron Man's. So it's Iron Man, 500 Days of Summer, Iron Man 2. You can't ask for a better agent. You just can't. (laughs) Pun always intended because he's Agent Coulson. But you just can't ask for it and before all that he was agent casper on west wing and you better believe that if we did tv shows we'd be all over that and in this movie man we we have a lot to say about this movie especially since it falls within our knowing each other timeline Mm -hmm. uh 
here's here's something that's really interesting about this movie. Uh, when I first watched this movie, I was Tom. I I had all like the the lines like Tom knew from a young age he would never truly be happy unless he was in love. I'm just like mm hmm mm hmm. When I first watched this movie, I was just like vindication. Like it just felt. <laughs> Like, uh, I was like, I was being portrayed on film. Uh, and then going back and watching this movie, I had such, so, so much cringe, so much uncomfortableness. Like, it felt like I was going back and reading my, uh, Facebook blog posts from 2009. I'm just like, oh no, who's seen this? Uh, these, these are supposed to be my private thoughts. Why did I put them on the internet? Um, uh, largely just because Tom's so problematic, uh, and he has such a uh, such a skewed view of women that I just I I would like to think I just didn't see as heavily, and I just saw it as like, oh well, this is how one would speak about a specific ex. But it, it just anyway, that was difficult to watch. Uh, but also, the interesting thing that I found was um, Tom. Is it great in this relationship? Uh, I was doing some research and I realized that um, someone pointed out how literally just the comment of a video said, well, if you think about it, like the man that um, Summer ends up with is someone who is interested in her. And he said, think about it. Like he actually asks about her uh, and her interests. But we, as an audience, don't know anything really about Summer. I'm just like, oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah, she's from Michigan. That's it. She likes Ringo. And that's it. And so I just thought it was really interesting because this is all jumbled thoughts to say. When I first watched the movie, I see of like, oh yeah, poor Tom. He... (laughs) He was such a great guy, and Zoe Deschanel broke his heart. But now I see uh, there's a deleted scene. Oh my gosh, it's one of the greatest deleted scenes ever released because it, it it's it's the thesis statement of the entire movie, which is why I think they probably deleted it. Uh, when Tom goes on the date with Allison, uh, the redheaded girl who mm-hmm. he ends up just talking about Summer the whole time, there's a deleted scene where. Uh, they're in the diner, and she says, so let me get this straight. So she didn't cheat on you. She didn't take advantage of you. And she told you from the beginning that she didn't want to be anything serious. He's like, yeah. And she said, well, geez, Tom, did she break her heart or did you? And I was just like, what? Like, that's that's it. Like, the the, the movie is about... Tom putting his all of his hope and expectations on this other person who's not there for it. And he broke his own heart throughout this movie. And I just thought that that was phenomenal. And uh, it, it, it's it. I this movie was just one of my favorites. The soundtrack. I remember it's like I know all the words to every single one of these songs. Uh and it, it was just, it played such an active role in my life when it was first released, and then rewatching it like you know over ten years later, it's like wow, like this is a completely different movie for me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 
just to go back to the soundtrack, the soundtrack is fantastic. It's it's so good, Ricky, that you loaned it to me 10 years ago and I never returned it. <laughs> it is in that closet behind me. I'm sorry. Oh. It has made several moves with me. <laughs> good. Just never gave it back. Um, I'm pretty sure the same was true for Flight of the Concord Season 2 as well. Um so sorry. But yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. When when we watched this at the point we were in our lives and who we were, uh, yeah, I think we saw a lot of Tom in ourselves and we we're like, oh, yeah, you know, I get it. But it's just like what happens to Tom in the movie where he watches The Graduate and really doesn't understand what it's actually trying to say. And so rewatching it, it was a completely different experience I think you and I are probably closer now to Matthew Gray Goobler's character of Paul, where we're just like, yeah, now we're settled in. We're good. Uh, yeah. 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 Love our wives. And it's cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it is, it's different when, when, when you are single, like I was like, I was, I felt like I was time traveling watching this movie. I'm like, I remember these emotions. We were young twenties and single uh, watching this movie about this guy who just wants so very much to not be a young 20s and single. It's it's so interesting just to be reminded of that time in your life. Uh, I I think Honest Trailers uh, did a recent uh, a take on this movie, and, and they kind of pointed out, they're like, and just like a 10-year relationship, you're really trying to distance yourself from... From a lot of the choices that you made, uh, because uh, Joseph Gordon Lovett has uh, very publicly uh, tweeted or posted in uh, or talked about in interviews about how, like, listen, going back and watching this movie, not on Tom's side. <laughs> Summer was honest from the jump. Just realizing and, and coming to different conclusions about this movie, which uh, isn't to say that this movie's bad by any means, but it, it's interesting to see how movies that you connect to and relate to. A certain phase of your life can mature and be different without changing anything other than your experience. Because now that you, uh, you know, see this movie through the lens of like someone who is in a relationship, you're like, oh yeah, no, I remember that single phase where I threw every hope and expectation on this other human being, whether they were right for me or me for them or not. <laughs> And uh, I, I just, I just love it. I, I just really, really love and appreciate this movie. It's yeah. one of the first Blu-rays I own. Oh, um, but it, but I wasn't able to watch extra features because I have a child, and um, it, it really is like they say. They say first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes a child who will jam a playing card into your DVD drive. So you can't play any DVDs. Or solitaire, because you're down or, a card. You're down a card. Yeah. And it wasn't a Joker. Um, yeah, he just wanted to watch Joker. Okay. <laughs> because he wanted to watch the world burn. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I, I think that's so true, though, of the evolution of this movie. Um, any movie that has something to say or is a commentary on a specific age you know, that should happen where you rewatch it and you're a different person, you've grown. And so you're going to interpret it differently. And I, I think that's a really great litmus test for this is a movie 
that has a very clear voice and a very clear perspective and is commenting on the subject matter. So it was great to rewatch it. It felt a lot, you know, I'm looking back on like some of my favorite movies, you know, in the last 15 years and whatnot. And I realized like, oh, I certainly had a type because this movie for me is just like a funny version of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh like, yeah. Very similar of saying like, hey, I told you what this was about and you tried to make it something it wasn't. This time, you know, I got all of the the new context and nuance of what was really going on. But um, I really just appreciate the style of this movie. It's so specific. I mean, even oh, the yeah. title, like using the parentheses and all that. It's such a specific aesthetic that it. I remember it was parodied quite a bit when it came out too like people were doing recuts of community being like 500 days of brita and and all that kind of yeah. stuff and the voiceover yeah. and the transitions um but to me the the ultimate uh the ultimate thing that i saw parodied from this movie was the hall and oats sequence because just uh, yes. what a great moment uh, I mean, anytime you just get like a cartoon bird put into live action, uh -huh. you're playing by your own rules. And that, I mean, I think that's a great example for what this movie does. It doesn't follow a specific formula um, that you expect. It's got its own look. It's got its own flow. Um, and that's a great example of, yeah, no, this is not a musical, but there's going to be a musical massive dance break with animation and sure, let's throw Harrison Ford in there too. And the, the whole thing still works because we know that this is through his eyes and that lets you have as much freedom as the imagination of that character. So yeah, it, that part was really fun to go back to being like, yeah, you can, you just do what you want <laughs> as a movie maker, just right? throw it in there, like have them parody great cinematic moments, like from seventh seal and have them be playing chess on the beach and all that. So um, yeah, it's, it, that was a lot of fun, just seeing that they can really do whatever they want as long as it serves the story. It was directed by Mark Webb, who at the time was almost exclusively a music video director. Mm. Like This was his first feature film to work on um, as a director. And it's it's amazing uh, what this then, you know, jettisoned his career into because then he went on to direct the amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. And he ended up being a director and producer on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which, I mean, obviously he would be the one. It, it, it's amazing because, uh, like you said, the 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 visual, the, the style, uh, even just the, you know, nonlinear storytelling of going back and forward in a relationship was just so well done. And I think this is also something that... uh uh, honest trailers did just like if you watch the movie in chronological order you just see that the relationship just doesn't it doesn't play up as well mm -hmm. i understand why they broke up <laughs> yeah you, you you draw that conclusion much quicker well and it's just like what the what the chloe grace moretz character says where she's like you know go back and think about it like if you really remember it accurately it's probably not what you thought it was because the editing puts the extremes of the highs and the lows and the parts mm -hmm. that stick out. It's not until you thread together 
you know, everything that the, the daily moments that really make up the relationship that you see, uh, they're not great together, really. Yeah. Um, so that that's an interesting point. Yeah. Again, like the style, jumping forward and backwards, having these musical numbers, having these scenes that really do feel like, you know, you're in an art house piece. As someone who turns to media to make sense of life, I, I get it. And I appreciate when they use that within the media itself. Like he's going and watching these uh, these French films um, and they're really sad and poetic and black and white because that's how he feels. It's just uh, it, it was just good. So I, I really enjoyed rewatching this movie and it made me feel a lot of things I forgot. I felt <laughs> Uh, young and single and constantly looking for the one it made me very glad to be older oh man yeah and honestly Ringo Starr got the worst rap in this movie (laughs) stop and smell the roses people all right now we are going to go into one of my favorite parts of our show you hear the music do you hear it Mm, It, mm. we're gonna have a dance break it's going to be great. To the song. Head cannon! Head cannon. I don't know. I got the head cannon that's happening. And his head cannon is going. And it's saying lots of things. Oh, it's a royalty-free version. <laughs> I was so close to that. I just blatantly said, twist and shout. Oh. That's where they got us. Uh, Head Cannon is the part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Grayson alluded to this earlier, Mm. but our little angel grew up and and eventually uh, ended up uh, having this relationship with Summer. And that's the Head Cannon. Oh, Uh, the angel from Angels in the Outfield. I... Because I also mentioned Seven Seal, I was like the angel ah. from the the chess game. Like, no. No, no, sorry, uh, Roger Bowman, uh, his character from uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character from Angels in the Outfield. I see. Yeah, we don't really find out a lot about his family. Yeah, there's that, there's that piece of headcanon as well as Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been in the MCU this whole time. Oh. Using Agent Coulson, and this is just an uh, undercover mission, um, you know, so he can get some intel on the ground. Because mm-hmm. uh, this takes place in San Francisco, I believe, right? They said Los Angeles. Right. I know where that is, um, and it's not close, I'm gathering. So, yes, Los Angeles, um, which is where Coulson has been known to be. Yeah. Stark lives in Malibu, so are used to. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time of this, he would have. Timeline wise, especially since this this is uh the sandwich between two Iron Man movies. Uh yeah. Yeah, to to emphasize that Yvette Nicole Brown takes the place of Summer as the receptionist, and we learn from Endgame she is also a Shield operative. So I think that whole greeting card company is just a front for Shield. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And we know that Coulson keeps cards. He does keep cards. Oh man, you you reinforce my headcanon. I love it. 
Oh. My headcanon was that the day switching is not just a plot device or a narrative aesthetic that has been applied to this movie. He is actually traveling through time to save this relationship <laughs> because, wow, he's a looper. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I also, well, if you think about looper, you know, 500 days of summer, there's a lot of French in this movie, in the music, mm. in the movies that he watches. And if you remember from looper, you know, JGL was learning French. Um, even though Jeff Daniels Ooh. tells him to learn Mandarin because he's from the future. Um, so, yeah, I think he's actually sliding through time uh, just trying to just trying to save this failed, failed relationship. That's solid, man. I love it. And then Bruce Willis shows up and ruins everything for him. That reminds me of that uh, that one that one girl you dated. Who was it? Summer. <laughs> Summer. Her name was Summer. What a twist. What a twist. Oh, that could have been the alternate title to this. Oh, this should have just been called Split. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk to you about recast and remake. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? I mean, it's hard because, you know, these two leads have been in so many other ensemble casts that it's like, you mean New Girl wasn't a spinoff of 500 Days of Summer? <laughs> uh, I'm confused. So casting was difficult, but I do have some ideas of how this could be uh a remake narratively. Mm. Um, I would love to see either... Uh, 500 Days of Summer, but a Netflix series where um, I don't know if, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just going to date myself and know that this is going to be an obscure reference. But is this any different than any other episode that we've recorded? Uh, if anyone remembers the Nickelodeon show, A Hundred Good Deeds for Eddie McDowell, uh, it was a show all about this kid who was a bully and then due to circumstances got turned into a dog uh and he had to uh basically be best friends with one of the kids who he used to bully and he wouldn't be turned back into a human until he did a hundred good deeds oh i would love to see a 500 days of summer but just i just want us to get to 500 days like we, we got a couple of days I think over the movie, maybe 20, but I would love to see all 500 days. And we actually see mm. like a day in each, uh, a day in the relationship, um, even on some of the off days. Just one one episode is just <laughs> a silent film, essentially. It's yeah, it's like the, the pitch within a pitch for Seinfeld. It's like the reading. Yes. Well, we didn't talk about the reading. Um, I, I had never heard. What was the name of that that show? A uh, Hundred Good Deeds for Eddie McDowell. Oh, see, see I was thinking of A Hundred Good Days for Andy McDowell, which is what I call Groundhog Day. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's different. Oh, uh, wait. No, it exists, right? I'm not just making this up. It's not showing up on IMDb. What? <laughs> I Okay, A Hundred Good Deeds. Okay, good. Yes, it exists on Wikipedia. Yeah, 100 Good Deeds for Eddie McDowell. Oh, but who wrote the article, Ricky? Who wrote the article? It was me! Yep. No, I, I love that. I think that would be really interesting to go day by day. And it's a great format for a series. Uh, it's kind of like a compressed version of 24, 
where instead of you know a day for a right. season, it's a day for an episode. For my recasting, um, I went with Emma Stone. So I mean, there's the Amazing Spider-Man connection there, uh-huh. right? Um, and then also Corey Michael Smith, who people might not be familiar with, but he, I was very impressed by him uh, on Gotham. He played the Riddler. Ah, yeah. And he's oh, got that yeah. same kind of feel of like the, you know, kind of dressing up kind of vibe and um, definitely plays the obsession angle in mm-hmm. Gotham. Um, mm-hmm. Check. But I think I think it'd be fun to see the two of them together. And I think Emma Stone really locked in for me because this does have a lot of La La Land vibes to it. Uh, I mean, it's modern day Los Angeles and it's about, you know, relationships and the expectations. And, you know, if the relationship is not everything to you in your life uh, and you're not aligned on that, it's going to have the same kind of conflict that we see in both those films. So uh, to me, that felt like a really natural connection. Um, And I would be interested in seeing that chronological cut uh, that we were talking about of just, you know, how really does it play? Um, That would be uh, fun to to re-experience the movie that way. Bella Lavelle, um, she played Heather in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I would love her. I think that she, uh, her character in uh, in, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a lot like summer like she's uh she knows very much who she is what she wants um but she's also has like more of a drier sense of humor uh and so i think that she would be a really great summer interest um and, but i think that she would just play it it's like i mean she's capable of playing it more real but i i think her playing it up more would be a ton of fun as far as um a, a, a Joseph Gordon-Lovett character, I, I just I think it should just be Joseph Gordon-Lovett. <laughs> uh, they they just use the uh, the Gemini Man uh, oh, technology yeah. just to age him down, mm. or really anyone who you anyway. can just. I mean, I, I'm always a big fan of just putting John Lovett's in films recasting with him i still maintain that passengers would have been a much better film if you had replaced chris pratt with john lovitz and jennifer lawrence just wakes up and he's standing there holding the cord he's like oh hello you're up um so what do you want to do (laughs) what to do what to I really like that. So John Lovitz is going to be my recast for every film moving forward. Perfect. I have zero problems with this. All right. Now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend 500 Days of Summer? I'd recommend 500 Days of Summer because it is a really fun aesthetic. The way that the film is put together is is interesting. It feels like its own art project uh, a lot of the times um, where you get a mix of the architectural s- sketches from Tom and then Summer also has an influence over the color and uh, just the whole look of it. So 
Um, yeah, th that part's really interesting from a filmmaking perspective. I think the performances are incredibly charming. You're Like you said, we're dealing with problematic subject matter that because of how charming the characters are, you just kind of take it on first pass. You're like, oh, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, uh, you know, and Zoe Deschanel are just so good together that it's easy to not really see what you're uh, you know, what's being put in front of you because you buy into both of their perspectives at the same time. So that is just, uh, you know, me being incredibly impressed with the performances of this movie. Um, it's a quirky story, but a relatable story. Um, and uh, ultimately, this is not your standard formula rom-com. If anything, it feels like a modern fairy tale. Like this, it doesn't, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't seen it because I am recommending that you see it, but it, it felt more to me like, you know, we're going on the journey of Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, from, or Tom, uh, from the perspective of, you know, this narrator who's kind of guiding us through it. We never see the narrator or anything like that, but it gives it that feeling of this is, this is a fairy tale in the sense that it is a cautionary tale, uh, like all great fairy tales are. It is meant to teach us something and we're going to go on a pretty harsh journey with this this person who will ultimately grow from the experience. Um, so I think there's a lot you can get out of this movie. Um, I don't think I have seen it since we saw it in theaters, to be honest. Um, it, so I've had really a, a good chunk of time uh, to process it. I've been around the movie, like with the soundtrack and all that. I, I think it's a great movie. Um, but the, the experience of going back 10 years later and just, you know, seeing it basically as a completely different person with different experiences, uh, is, uh, it, it was pretty incredible. It was amazing. It's been a long time since I've had that level of reevaluation on a movie and understanding that, you know, the, the movie is the same. It's the audience that's, has, that's changed. I have changed. And so, um, if you haven't seen it, see it. If it's been a while since you've seen it, rewatch it. And uh, I hope for you that you have the same uh, kind of experience of seeing the movie from a completely different angle as uh, Ricky and I had. So that's why I recommend 500 Days of Summer. Well said, Grayson. Ah, yeah. I mean, so I'd recommend 500 Days of Summer, uh, especially if you watched it first in 2009, like when it first came out, because uh, so much time has passed. And uh, and it, it really is like rewatching um like uh, uh, like finding like someone's just like hey i found your old myspace page it's like wait what what was i saying like, yeah what what did i write uh yeah. what did i write uh because because and, and i said because i think that this movie's very um earnest and very honest mm. um and and i think that um it zeroes in on this person's experience which i think is a lot of people's experience uh especially after a breakup um uh, which is heartache, um, blame, anger, uh, justification of bad behavior. But at the same time, like you move on. Um, and 
it, it, the movie just is its journey. Uh, and it's a really fun and entertaining journey because because when you go back and watch 500 Days of Summer, for me, I realized that like, wow, like so much of what I was hoping for within uh, finding a relationship or being in a relationship is it's there. But also there's more that's beyond that. Uh, my wife and I had a really great conversation about like, Remember when we didn't know we were going to find each other? <laughs> uh, and uh, and like, we, like we, we were both like before my wife and I met, we were both at a stage of like, well, I guess that's all the humans on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're never going to find someone else who's who who I'd want to marry. And uh, and it's cool to see how like, yeah, remember, this was us like this. Th- this was. Uh, how we saw relationships and this how we saw the world and look at who we are now. Uh, and we have so much more experience and wisdom uh, that I think is really cool to see that has happened over time. And uh, 500 Days of Summer is a really good benchmark um, for that. Uh, and it's just such a fun movie and it's very creative. It, it felt like the team that worked on this is just like, you get to make one for you. Mm-hmm. What, for me, yeah, you get to make this for you. Just make it. Just make it. Put as much heart in it. Uh, make as many references as you want. We'll get the license to as many songs as you want. Have fun, and and that radiates through this movie like a bright summer day. Ah, uh, nice. Wrapped it up in a with bow. A bow. And that is our review of. 500 Days of Summer. Let us know what you remember about 500 Days of Summer on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps uh, spread our reach. The more ratings we get, the more people get to see that this podcast is worth listening to for uh, like at least 500 days or more. So on a scale of one to five broken plates. Mm, um, I like that. I like that one <laughs> a lot. Uh, how would you rate this uh, review or this podcast as a whole? Yeah. One plate, two plates, two plates, three. You got to do the whole set. You just three, gotta, yeah. 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 Don't, you don't want to have half. A set of plates. Yeah. What if you have company? Break them all, buy new ones. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Hamilton making its streaming debut on Disney Plus next week. We thought, why not go back to the original American history movicle with 1776? Wait, is that the one with Mr. Feeney in it? <laughs> oh, just you wait. Uh, so, and also, just to throw it out there, the only place that we can find this movie available is Amazon Prime, not a sponsor. But if you are looking to find the movie 1776, Amazon Prime has the director's cut with 15 whole extra minutes. Oh. And commentary from the original writers. That's right. Thomas Jefferson himself. (laughs)